Buffy's friends brought her back to life. It's the thing about magic. There's always consequences. But she didn't come back alone. You mean some hell beastie rode in with Buffy? It doesn't have a body, so it's borrowing ours. And all new Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> Welcome to this one Starbucks town, also known as If the Apocalypse Comes Beat Me. This is a weekly-ish podcast about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> Take a look at each episode according to its original air date 20 years ago, and this week's episode is Season 6, Episode 3, Afterlife. We'll be talking about plot, we'll be talking about characters, and we'll be talking about everyone's favorite ghost hunters, Ed and Lorraine Warren. So, spoilers abound for this episode, every episode before it, after it, the comics, and probably other shows and movies. Hey, this is Beat Me doesn't have to be good or fun. This is the show where we don't have to be great, and yet we still podcast. Hello! 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 My name is Kelly. I'm hosting this show along with my wonderful co-host, Asia. Say hello. Hello. Dale is my other podcast host, co-host. Say hello. Child of words, hear thy podcast. With our sound waves, we did make thee. To our voices wilt thou bend. We rescind no past podcast seasons. Give thee substance. Give thee mass. Solid. Solid. Nice. Nice. Well, uh, it's it's so 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 glad to have you both here. Uh, to it's so about. glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this isn't awkward at all. Season six. It's episode three. It's Afterlife. Originally aired on October 9th. 2001. This was written by none other than Jane Espenson. It's 14 of 23 for her for the series. Last one was Intervention, and in case you don't remember what that one was, because I surely didn't, that was the season five episode where Buffy goes into the desert to seek out the first Slayer to get advice about what to do with Glory. Uh, The next episode she does will be Flooded, so that's the next episode. She co-writes it with Doug Petrie, so stay tuned for that. Directed by David Solomon, this is 10 of 19 for the series for him. Last was The Weight of the World, and the next will be All the Way. So just a couple episodes from now, too. That's the Halloween episode this year, the last. Hmm. Hey, what happened in this episode? It is still the same night. Still the same day. Still the same night. Three episodes in a row. I mean, technically, too. But can you believe it? This is the longest night ever. And uh, Buffy has found her way back to the Summer's house. Uh you know, with Don, because Don, Don was there, too. This is going to go really well. Um, <laughs> Spike shows up and is really, really surprised that Buffy is there. And Buffy is being totally normal, not, you know, out of her mind, just walking through the house. Everything's fine. Uh, Scoobies, unfortunately, show up when Spike and Buffy are having a nice, tender moment where she could possibly have coped with the fact that she just came back to life. But no, no, no. Our friends are here to ruin the day. Uh, everyone awkwardly goes to bed. Xander and Anya go to their house. Willow and Tara go to sleep and then are suddenly awoken by Buffy, we think, throwing shit at their uh, headboard and scaring the crap out of everyone. Willow turns on the light. Oh, Buffy disappears. So I guess it wasn't Buffy after all. Uh, everyone's freaked out because there's clearly a ghost in the house. Uh, we cut to Xander because Willow's got to call Xander to say, hey, there's a ghost. Something's going on. And uh, Anya 
comes out of the doorway cutting up her face. So everything's super cool. Our friends go to Buffy's backyard, who knew that existed, uh, to talk about what exactly is going on. And we eventually, through some research and yada yada, find out it's a Tomogenesis. We made a demon by accident when we brought back Buffy back from hell. Remember, we brought Buffy back from hell. There is no other option. We definitely brought her back from hell. Uh, we fight the demon. Willow does a spell to make this ghosty thing that's possessing everybody. Uh, yeah, making Dawn shoot fire hilariously. Uh, they turn it corporeal so Buffy can fight it. She beheads the demon, and everything's pretty. I mean, I gotta say, pretty normal for uh for Buffy and for Sunnydale. They fought a demon, and everything's good. Except for a little epilogue where Buffy's like, oh, thank you guys for bringing me back from hell where I definitely was and everything's going to be okay. I just need some time. Buffy goes outside of the magic box to find none other than Spike skulking around. And she takes that opportunity to be like, uh, turns out I was in heaven. Don't ever tell my friends. The end. There were. Th- okay. Was there a first in this episode? Speaking again about Buffy's backyard. We have seen it for sure. And yeah, we've, we've seen it. But, but not, not like, like that. We've never hung out in it. And especially not during the daytime. The only no. I, I feel like probably during Dead Man's Party, when everybody's running around with all the zombies, that you know was probably featured there. And then the thing that comes to my mind first and foremost is uh, the end of Full for Love, when Spike goes to confront Buffy, and she, you know he's got the shotgun and she's just sitting there kind of crying on the porch. But, but oh uh, sure, sure. But even uh, like when Angel was there, remember Angel came through the thing and Spike was hanging out yeah. with Joyce. They were in that in that because we got to assume that that door. Going out to the backyard is the kitchen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. But, you know, the, all I can think about in the ba- in this backyard is Buffy and then Tara getting shot. So bad memories, bad memories. And Dawn, remember Dawn left to go to the magic box to read about her being the key and met Spike in this backyard? Again, f- different backyard. But, I mean, this was the same spot. Like, we saw it for a minute when she snuck out of the house and then ran into Spike before they went to go read that she was the key. And even in the, in the end box. of Real Me, when, or during Real Me, when uh, Harmony takes dawn right and anya's like trying to grab right, her and right. keep her inside yeah yep. it's just mm-hmm. it's definitely not the same set right there's no way they've since joyce died they went ahead and got some furniture and stuff really spruced <laughs> it up back here so <laughs> buffy's been using her limited resources since the death of her mother to uh spruce up the backyard or hey maybe when the lesbians moved in they decided to make some shit happen <laughs> gentrification <laughs> uh man so buffy has photos in her room of everyone except giles that's a thing. I don't know if it's pointed, it's not but it's surprising. true. Surprising. That's normal. All right. I I don't know. People pointed it out. I pointed it out. I regret it. The demon. Well, in- Willow's got a photo of Giles in her locker, so that's why we're <laughs> even thinking about it. That's right. Because that's weird. Never forget. But then Buffy's got normal boundaries with Giles, yes. but not Willow. Although, wait, what is this? I tried to catch it while it was on while we we're watching it. What is the photo? Is that like a... Oh, it's filter in the top right corner of the image that you're showing us. This is Buffy's bulletin board with everybody's pictures. In the top right corner, there is a sideways picture of (laughs) the band filter. (laughs) How would you know that that's the band filter? I'm 90% sure. I'm... Yeah. (laughs) That's incredible. (laughs) Look, she's been through a lot. Okay? But she's totally fine. That's true. Uh, She's fine. The demon in Superstar, remember, all the way back in season Mm -hmm. four, should be considered Tomogenesis thing too right because mm-hmm. that demon was great as a consequence of jonathan's spell but we didn't bring it up and we have acted like we've never heard of this before so you know that's fine i mean no jonathan but doing okay uh anya's face cutting scene was cut out of the uk airing of this episode because man censorship's real in the uk or at least it was right i, I mean 
That's yeah. I, oh, I, censorship's real in the U.S. too. What? Oh yeah. So Buffy's backyard. There was a little line of dialogue that was cut from Anya. It's very important that I read this oh to my you. God. Why are you having a skulk around and meet in the backyard like conspiracy squirrels? Sitting in the arm of this chair is making my buttocks hurt. All right. So Anya had all the jokes in this episode. So clearly they were 100%. just like, this is too much. That's too much. <laughs> they can't take her seriously after this one. So we'll stop. The legitimacy of Spike's coffin experience. So in the episode of season seven, Lies My Parents Told Me, so we find out that, you know, Spike has a very unhealthy relationship with his mother and he goes immediately after turning into a vampire. She doesn't know he's a vampire, goes to see her and then turns her into a vampire. So there wouldn't have been time for there to be a funeral. She didn't even know he was dead. So theoretically, he was never buried. However, we conveniently had a throwaway line about Drusilla's penchant for being a traditionalist, quote unquote, where she apparently when she would turn uh, other vampires, when she was sire vampires, she would herself bury them. So they would have Burying. to go through the process of being reborn. Mm. And that line of dialogues actually in the Angel season, I think it's season one, uh, might be season two, episode reunion. So this would, that would be even before this. So it's not like they intentionally oh, yeah. like added that line of dialogue to make this make sense after the fact. It's just like, yeah, so plausibly you could say that Drusilla did bury him and that's why he had to claw his way out of a coffin. But otherwise it wouldn't have made sense. So I don't know. I just thought that was kind of interesting because... It's an important moment or could have been a very touching, important moment. But we have terrible friends. Uh, I think that's. Yeah. So. I have to uh, I have to ask contractually, Stacia, what do you think about this episode? I think it's a good episode. Yeah. Yeah. I like this one. Oh, good. Yeah. I was a little worried because I, I I feel like I went on a little roller coaster with this. I really liked it the first time I watched it. Not that you asked. Now that it's my turn to talk about this. But go ahead. Uh <laughs> The very first time I watched it, I thought it was really good. And then I watched it again and I was like, man, they're annoying. And now I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how I feel. Our friends are so annoying. I can't handle it. Uh, Daniel, how do you feel about this episode? Uh, I, I liked it as well. Um, I struggle. I, I don't know if it's really good. I really enjoyed watching it. It's slow. Um, you know, it sets up a lot of stuff for the season. You know, it's a nice episode after what we did in the first episode, if you will, bargaining uh, as a total. More of Willow. Uh, the villain's super dumb, so that, like, really did matter. So classic, old, stupid, goofy Buffy. Um, but then, like, you know, we have great performances. Spike and, you know, Buffy is exactly what I wanted to see. The one thing I couldn't stop thinking about was, like, Jane Espenson. Like, it doesn't really feel like a Jane episode, which is kind of strange. A lot of weird jokes, and Anya gets all of them for whatever reason. But it didn't really feel like a Jane episode. Everything they're leading up for right now is awesome. And that finale scene with the two of them was awesome. I kind of thought that she realized that she was in heaven during the song. I forgot that she confessed it to Spike in this episode. So I was actually really excited to see that happen. And that was really cool. So I liked it. I think. We'll see. <laughs> well, uh, I don't condone you ranking stuff on the fly because it questions the legitimacy of our ranking system as a whole. So I don't appreciate well, that. Well, no, you're but... science. I'm not. I know. <laughs> I've changed my, I've changed, it's, me and Stacia have changed on uh, the episodes before. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've so. literally never done that. Not even in the last episode. No, you, no, no, no. You can go back and listen. You can go back to no, and I, I, all the listeners should go back and re-listen to every. Start at the first one and start all the way through, and you'll God, see that, that this podcast has integrity. <laughs> That's what we have in space. We, we promise. Yes. Well, Jane herself would agree with you that this is a very un-Jane episode about afterlife. She said it was pretty much the first episode I've written that wasn't really a comedy. 
that wasn't at that wasn't at heart a comedy at least it was quite dark there were a few opportunities for humor and i was really worried about that because part of writing that i'm most the part of writing that i'm most confident about is i know where i can find the jokes when there are no jokes to be found when in fact it would be wrong to find the jokes when it would feel jarring to have the humor there i didn't put the emphasis in the right part of that quote so it came out really weird i felt like i was getting a little, I felt like I was a little at sea, but I'm getting a lot of compliments on the episode. I'm really surprised the number of people who really liked it, which is really gratifying because I didn't feel that it was my most comfortable area, but actually made me eager to take on the challenge now. So I don't cringe anymore if I'm assigned something that doesn't have obvious humor because I know that I'm okay even without it. I think. We'll see. Which is basically exactly what you said. <laughs> I mean, I think that's why you give Anya the jokes. I mean, the stakes were pretty low on her right. and she can just act as a cipher whereas yeah it's kind of weird that just nobody else had a funny moment the whole time everything everything's very serious for everyone else except for Anya <laughs> and usually that's a Xander thing that typically is Xander but even Buffy's pretty funny but obviously we cannot have Buffy be funny no in this episode so it's kind of like everything just has to get sh- shifted which is very weird yeah it's this episode has like Spike is so strong in mm-hmm. this episode it really makes me kind of forget any of the stuff that's annoying. And, and the, the noises are just minor. I just, like, I feel like our friends are so over the top and so oblivious that I just, like, come on, guys. Why are you smiling? That's inappropriate. What we deal with in this episode is a bit of a poltergeist, but different. I think we make the distinction, not in this episode, but we've talked about how poltergeists are different because this is a, a demon, not hitchhiker, but consequence, gift with purchase, if you will. Um, and I was wondering if Stacia would tell us about the Warrens, because they hunt ghosts. Station. <laughs> yeah, it's gone. Yes, but where did it go? I mean, evil things have plans. They have things to do. So the Warrens are probably the most well-known ghost hunters, at least in the English-speaking world, I would think. Um... They are a married couple, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Ed is or was a self-taught demonologist while Lorraine was a medium and could commune with ghosts. When are we talking? Are they alive now? No, they're, they're both dead. Oh, they're both dead. I thought just he was dead. Huh. No, she died in 2019. Ooh, I see. Oh, wow. So, but like now era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ed and Lorraine, born in the 1920s. Did I write down the exact dates? No, it doesn't matter. (laughs) They meet when they're teens. Ed works at a theater. Lorraine goes with her mother. They become friends. Then, when they've graduated high school, Ed deploys to the war. He's only gone four months. His ship sinks. He comes back on survivor's leave. Don't know what that is. I guess what the title implies and they get married. He goes back out um, and then eventually he comes back. They resume their lives together. They have their first and only child, Judy, in uh, 1951. Oh, they got married in 1945, by the way. So six years later, they have their only child, Judy. Same year, Ed is like, hey, you know what I want to do with my life now that I've killed people in war? I want to paint haunted houses, and I'm going to go to school to be a professional at it. Oh, that's fun. And so that's what he does. <laughs> Once he graduates, they uh, take their little show on the road, and they sell his haunted paintings for two years. 
at this point, he decides, you know what would be really cool? As if we start stalking people that we hear have haunted houses. And I will <laughs> sit outside their house and I will draw it. And then I'm going to knock on that door and I'm going to give them that picture and ask them to let me inside. Oh, my God. Wow. And it works. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet it does. He So that's what they do. They travel around uh, New England and they... Look for stories of people having haunted houses. Ed draws a picture of their house, and they weasel their way in to talk about the haunting with the owners. And and they do that for, you know, 10 years. (laughs) I don't know. That's so bizarre. They weren't really making money. This was just, like, a weird hobby they had. In 1952, so this is, like, right at the beginning, right when they start traveling to people's houses to stand outside and draw them, (laughs) they create... The New England Society for Psychic Research, which is the first of its kind. The Nepper? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Nesper. Oh, the Nesper. Sorry, sorry. Nesper. All right. So they get like a little bit of renown, but nothing big. 1968, enter the Annabelle doll. Oh, God. That's right. That's them. Yeah. It was a big mistake acknowledging this doll. And through that, the inhuman spirit tricked you. You gave it permission to infest your lives. What's an inhuman spirit? It's something that's never walked the earth in human form. It's something demonic. Which they've had movies made of, I think, one actually just called Annabelle. Mm -hmm. But basically, this nursing student gets this Raggedy Ann doll... And her and her roommates start experiencing these weird events. They think the doll's possessed. A different psychic says, yeah, it's possessed by the spirit of a woman named Annabelle. And then Lorraine Warren comes on the scene and she's like, and it's a demon. And I will take that doll from you. Jesus I'm going to put it in my basement. <laughs> That's exactly what she did. And they open an occult museum of all the things they've gathered over the years. Pride of which is the Annabelle doll. Sure, sure. So in the movies, the Annabelle doll is a lot scarier than the Raggedy Ann stuffed (laughs) doll Mm -hmm. that exists in reality. So that's the first one. The second thing that really happens that's kind of like infamous, like a well-known haunting is in 1971, the Perrin family or Perron. I'm not really sure how you say it. Basically, this family had a house in Rhode Island they claimed was haunted. They asked the Warrens to come. They came. Lorraine was like, yeah, I'm sensing here a witch. Cursed you and your house. The land that your house is on. The witch's name is Bathsheba Sherman. <laughs> nice. Sherman. Sherman. And anyone who lives here is uh, doomed to meet an untimely death, so you should get the fuck out. That's wow. basically the end and of that story. And sell it to me. Like, and then <laughs> oh, nothing great. happens. Great. <laughs> Terrible movie. They were like, no. <laughs> so a couple more years go by, you know, doing the regular little hauntings and stuff. And then 1975, this is where they made their name. And honestly, I don't know why. 1975, Amityville. Everyone oh, who has seen any yeah. scary movie, I'm sure, has heard of Amityville Horror. Like, this is just like an iconic haunted house, poltergeisty movie. And it's all based on... Ed and Lorraine Warren's telling of it. Well, at least a lot of it. So essentially, the backstory is, is in 1974, Ronald DeFeo Jr. killed his parents and his four siblings in their house. Oh, shit. He claimed he wasn't there. He claimed he was at a bar, but eventually confessed. He said voices told him to do it. He's sentenced 
to like five life sentences or I think it's six life sentences because he killed six people. A year later, the house sells for basically nothing, including most of the DeFeo's furniture that's left to a family called the Lutzes. John and Kathleen Lutz and their children move in. It's a great, it's a beautiful house. It's this big, lovely house in um, Long Island, I think. And just pretty much immediately, the Lutzes start reporting that there's, like, weird smells in their house. There's weird stains that are happening. There's, like, swarms of flies. And this is, like, the middle of December or something, so there shouldn't be flies. They're getting woken up at 3.15 in the morning, which is when the police said, you know, Ronald DeFeo Jr. killed his family. And possibly, at least for me, most concerning of all, their small daughter kept reporting her imaginary friend who was a demonic pig named Jody. <laughs> Jody the pig. Jody the demon Jody pig. Jody the demon pig. <laughs> yes. So this only lasts for 28 days. And on the 28th day, things are falling over. Things are breaking. Beds are shaking. They're freaked out. They grab their stuff. They leave. And they never return. They're gone. It, like, ruined them financially, you know, until, like, the movie deals caught up and everything. But initially it ruined them financially. Had a bad time with it. Fast forward five months, Ed and Lorraine are like, what if we go to this empty house, because it hasn't sold, and um, do like a little news news segment on it, talk about it. We weren't there during the actual haunting. We were not involved whatsoever. We were just showing up to this empty house. And they snap a picture of a demonic boy. And you can look this up online, and I can send you the photo to put on our website if you want to see it. It It is a creepy picture, but it's also just like that was clearly a kid with like a flash on his face or something. <laughs> um, and so that's really kind of became their claim to fame. After that, uh, they were invited to more sort of hauntings and stuff. There was one haunting in England that they went to. And when they got there, the family that claimed they were being haunted was like, first of all, we don't know who you are. Second of all, get away from us. <laughs> so they were not even let inside the house. What do you feel? I'm sad, afraid of being without you, and a little hungry. I meant about the house. Oh. Still haunted. So... Even though they were, you know, of Amityville fame, not necessarily entirely respected. <laughs> and I think... That's just a kid. I'm sorry. That's just a kid. Like, that's just a boy. You looked it up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's just, he's just like, looking out, out of a door. Yep. That's just a boy. It's like at the okay. foot of a staircase or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a staircase there, but, like, you could take this photo anywhere. And yeah. It's like... I mean, you know, of course, they're claiming there wasn't a kid in the house when we took the picture. How could there be blah, blah, blah. How could there possibly be a, a demonic child? boy in this photo? Okay. Yeah, insane. Kind of the next big thing that happens is in 1981. We're talking about Arnie Johnson claiming the devil made me do it, which is a movie that just came out this year. Hey, we just watched that. We sure did. Basically, poor old Arnie killed his landlord. <laughs> just stabbed him. No one really knows why. <laughs> Oh, I know why. He um, <laughs> didn't like him, I guess. He was found guilty of first-degree manslaughter and sentenced 10 to 20 years, but only served five. The deal with this is that before a few months before Arnie killed his landlord, the Warrens were called in because Arnie's fiance's family's 
one of their small children was having issues where they believed he was demonically possessed. He was acting out. He was being violent. Things were going bad. They called in the Warrens. The Warrens came, and they exorcised that demon with the help of the Catholic Church. Problem is, demon went into Arnie. So they swore, I swear to God, Arnie is possessed, and that's why he killed his landlord. It's not his fault. Oh, so nice. Arnie is the first instance of someone literally in court claiming that they are not guilty due to demonic possession. <laughs> Jury did not buy it. So nice. sorry, Arnie. I mean, he only had to serve five years for actually killing someone with a knife. He stabbed that guy like 20 times or something. It's yeah. wild. It's wild. Yes. And finally, the last thing that I think is kind of like, the one worth mentioning. There are other things. Like, there's, like, a white lady in a cemetery that Ed claims he got video footage of. Whatever. But this happens in 19... Wait. Yeah, 1986. Basically, there's a family. They're going through some issues. They say they're being haunted. But everyone that goes and tries to confirm their story gets a different story. None of the stories match up. Ed and Lorraine show up. Lorraine's like, oh, yeah. I definitely feel demonic possession here. Shit's real evil. <laughs> The problem, though, is everyone else is like, none of these stories are the same. We cannot corroborate anything this family is saying. It turns out the family has this, like, deep history of, like, drug use and alcoholism and basically just, like, general unreliability. And one paranormal investigator, um, let's see, Benjamin Radford said of Lorraine, quote, if she told me the sun would come up tomorrow morning, I'd get a second opinion. <laughs> <laughs> basically that they were that unreliable. They were essentially willing to corroborate anyone's stories of demonic possession or hauntings. And there were a couple of times where it sounds like they showed up to people who were saying they were haunted and basically like, let us get in on this. We can all make a lot of money. Since the 80s, no big haunting situations happen. Basically, at that point, they turned to Hollywood. Make a little pivot. The entire Conjuring universe is based on their stories, you know, the Annabelle series, um, A Haunting in Connecticut, like a lot of the possession movies that you can watch are based on Ed and Lorraine Warren's takes on different things that they were involved in. And um, there was a controversy, controversy in 2017 where this woman, Judith Penny, who had been associated with the Warrens as like a helper kind of receptionist person claims that she was in a romantic relationship with Ed Warren for 40 years and that he took advantage oh. of her when she was 15 and nice. Lorraine knew and she lived with the Warrens for so long <laughs> uh, so that she could be available for Ed <laughs> basically at this point Ed has already passed away and Lorraine is like in failing health and they're basically like we're not we're not going to dignify this with the response we're not doing this <laughs> if i just stay quiet long enough i'll die before i have to be responsible so <laughs> so that was kind of like a little bit of a you know black mark on their um oh yes just the one black mark. right reputation. Yeah. <laughs> otherwise beautiful immaculate untarnished and their reputation. wonderful reputation yeah. yeah it was um i mean one of the things that's important to understand about the warrens is they were deeply catholic and they believed that like the source of their power and the source of demons was like Catholicism, you know, like it was God and the devil, like people of faith were protected from being possessed. And that's having a pious, God fearing, strong marriage was like core to kind of what they were doing. So any sort of 
rumors of infidelity, especially with an underage child, would have been, like, absolutely devastating for them. So definitely kept under wraps. But essentially, yeah, that's the Warrens. Probably a bunch of liars. Definitely not as involved as you'd think they would be based on all of the movies that were made about them. But, you know, interesting figures. (laughs) And, you know, possibly a pedophile. Good old Ed. Yes, good stuff. Great, great. I mean, it is interesting, though, because, like, before the Warrens, they were really kind of the ones, I mean, obviously we have, like, the satanic panic and stuff, but they're doing this in the 50s. Like, Which this is, is pretty I know, that's pretty wild. They're kind of the first ones who would be like, it's okay to say our house is haunted. Like, they gave pr- people permission to say that. You know, before that, it's kind of like a hush-hush, people, you're just being crazy kind of a thing. And, like, now it's obviously this whole thing with, like, ghost hunters and people filming themselves and all of this stuff. Um, and it's really the Warrens that created that entire genre. <laughs> yeah. So they're to blame. Yeah. Good, good, good. So if you are worried, I would like to assure everyone that Nesper... It lives. <laughs> it lives. Uh, Judy, so the Warrens' daughter. The demon pig? Oh, God. No. Oh, Jody. Judy. Oh, the Warrens' daughter. Right, Jody? It was a Jody? I already forgot. Jody was a demon Jody pig. The Jody demon the pig. Jody, Jody the pig is long Jody gone. Jody the demon right. pig. That's okay. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know where she is. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Who has eyes on Jody? But- yeah, Judy Warren is still alive and kicking. She says she's got her mom's gift for, you know, uh, looking into the third veil mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, however, the, she doesn't like to use it because her parents' experiences scared her so much. But her husband, on the yeah. other hand, oh, loves it. it. And he's now in charge of the New, Le- New England Society for Psychic Research. Well, in case God. anyone's worried, they have a very active website. Go write them. <laughs> They want to come to your house. They want to investigate your ghosts. They, Let them know. Do they want to paint the house or that just, they got. Paint it. Yeah. Well, he likes to, I thought that was the whole thing. Ed wanted to paint people. Oh, well, Ed's dead. Well, I know, but like, <laughs> did that, does, does that trend? No. No, no. Okay. They don't do that well, that's anymore. that's too bad. But they will come into your house and record things. Oh, that's nice. And like take yeah. pictures. And take advantage of you. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm really happy that. Okay. To be fair, the Warrens might have been grifters, but they never, <laughs> but, but. They were grifting people for the story. They never charged anyone who was being haunted that they investigated money. They did not charge for their services. What they charged for was speaking engagements about being possessed, like demons and books and their Hollywood movies. So if you were like, come to my house, I got a ghost. They were like, I'll be there. It's free. Well, okay. Well, at least there's that. Yeah. I do feel like that's important to say. Yeah. They're not charging these poor people money. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because you get sort of this like dichotomy where they're where like, you know, current paranormal investigators are like, oh, you can't trust the Warrens. But like, could I trust you? Yeah. <laughs> I know. That's right. They want to be like, oh, we're better. We're How above war. Yeah. Back in the day, they were grifters, but I'm not a grifter, which yeah. is the, the classic grift. Well, I imagine that's part of how you, you know, the legitimacy, quote unquote, pact for new ghost hunters is you have to show them the Warrens and then you got to do this and then I got to, you know. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, who would believe you? Yeah. Well, I'm really glad that Judy Warren's husband was not uh, burdened with morals and was like, no, let's exploit and make the money. Thank you, God. So we can continue the Nesper work. That's good. That's good. Well, I mean, again, he doesn't charge you. No, but he will charge you to tell the tale. And I can't wait for the Conjuring 4 that you already told us about. Yeah. And where's Jody? Justice for Justice Jody. Justice for Jody. I mean, honestly, I feel like the real grifters of the store are the Lutzes. They knew what they were doing. 
Oh, so you think the lenses were totally full of it? Oh, completely full yeah. of it. Okay. I mean, in addition to, like, coming up with all these wild stories of this happening in 28 days, but um, multiple people have lived in that house since, and none of them have reported even a little bit of anything weird. Huh. So, yeah. I mean, there, I watched, like, a documentary, or maybe it was, like, a 2020 episode, I can't remember, about one of the kids from the Lutz family talking about, like, their experiences, and he from what I recall, like, remembers it being real and being scary, but I think a lot of it is just, like, the parents sort of, like, brainwashed and abused their kids. Oh, totally, yeah. Right? And it sounded kind of like, because they were very much like, let's be on every talk show, let's talk about this, we're going to be in the media, like, this was, like, a huge thing that they did, and they were definitely kind of, like, pushing that narrative, where I feel like if you really were run out of your house in 28 days from an evil spirit, maybe you wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't talk about that. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. And if that's it, I mean, you can imagine your parents bursting into your room, you know, middle of the night and be like, oh, my God, did you fucking hear that? We have to go. We have to run. We have to. And it's like, what? Uh, no, I was just asleep. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm scared because you're scared. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. I mean, a kid would be so susceptible. Well, to and you're kind of like moving yourself into a prime house to justify a haunting, right? Like they knew exactly what had happened there. All the furniture still there. They got it at a great price because of this, like, you know, mass murder that happened in it. And it's, like, in recent memory, you know? It's, like, a year later from the murders. Like, this is not, yeah. Which is clutch. <laughs> That's important. That's so, important. Yeah, to tell that story, you got to do that. Yeah. Anyways, so I feel like the Lutzes are grifters more so maybe even than the Warrens. The Warrens, it seems like at least on some level, and maybe I'm just being too generous to them, but I think that they do believe in it like maybe they exaggerate a little bit but like i think they do like in the end sincerely believe there are hauntings and that they were like offering comfort to people maybe not so much in the end but i definitely think that's kind of what they were doing in the beginning at least so well i mean catholicism's <laughs> insane right like the demons and stuff that's all real in, yeah. in the religion right so it's like if you're if you're in it sure i, I think it's totally plausible that they are true believers you know if you literally believe that satan is on earth and, and orchestrating you know, the things that are going around, then yeah, you can believe anything yeah. you want to. I mean, and Ed talked about how the reason why at least he was um, interested in the paranormal because he didn't claim to have any sort of like medium abilities was that he said he thought he grew up in haunted house when he was a kid and he had things he couldn't explain. So he was kind of always looking for an answer. So I could see why if you had some like experiences when you were a kid that scared you for whatever reason, even if there's a real explanation for it, you'd be kind of more interested in that. And then one fateful day at the movie theater you work at, you meet this woman who's like, oh yeah, I see ghosts, what's up? What is up? Not quite exorcism. Are you crazy? I saw that movie. Even the priest died. Uh, well, thank you for that. You're welcome. Even though you super spoilered us on the heretofore not created Conjuring 4, that's fine. Um, okay, listen. <laughs> Really, the the main takeaway I think you should get from this is that Buffy and Co. should not have called the Warrens. Even though yes. they could have, because the Warrens were alive and kicking at the time. Thanks for bringing it back to this show we're actually talking about that I kind of forgot about for a second. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, talking okay. about a different Hollywood property. Someone's got to make a segue, and it's not going to be me, apparently. So, <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, she's not Buffy the... Poltergeist Slayer. 
but she's getting a sweet ghost hug in this picture that you got it i do have a question though so this demon right so it would uh it would attack her kill the host and then she would be in the world is that the lore then she would haunt this house or she would become corporeal and live or well, go back demon. home yeah the they demon. were conveniently vague on the details of like what yeah. would happen yet it just said that she could exist if it killed Buffy. Okay. Does that mean it would take possession of Buffy's body? Does that mean it would have, you know, whatever that thing that when it did become solid, uh, would it just be that wandering? I, I don't know. It, they didn't really say anything because that wasn't the point. The point is we need Buffy to kill something so we can feel okay again. Yeah. Uh, and she did. She did chop its head off. She so. sure as hell cut its head off. No blood. I mean, honestly, you know, they were worried about Dawn or Dawn was like, I'm not supposed to see stuff like this. Like, this is literally bloodless. There's. If you're going to see someone get beheaded, this is the, probably the best case scenario. Yeah, I know that their leader's gone. They seem to be making with a big skedaddle. The thing that makes me the most angry in this whole episode is how insane our friends are. Um, I don't know why they can't let Buffy breathe for even one second. Stacia, do you think these are normal human reactions? Now, you gave a beautiful description of how you would want to be brought mm. back to life mm-hmm. last episode, and I think that, you, that can't can't be beat. Clearly, that's what they should have done. <laughs> However, why are they being like this? Tell me now. The scene um, when Buffy and Spike are talking, and um, Spike's just realized Buffy's actually back in the four tromp loudly into the living room though they did such a good job where you've got this sort of like sweet tender moment that buffy and spike are having and it's like for the first time it's almost like buffy's finally getting um some sort of emotional support that she's needed like she doesn't have to really worry about spike and she's like someone sees me you know like they get what i'm going through um to this like super loud super just like chaotic scene of everyone like walking in and just like the sound of them being there is like so overwhelming pizza you want pizza buffy likes yeah it's like they're screaming at you so it it feels a little bit like it's overdone and i think the reason why it's overdone is because like we're kind of unreliable narrator or whatever we're like we're seeing this from buffy's perspective like this is like so overwhelming Mm -hmm. for her and so yeah i mean i think they could say those things but i think it's like kind of like taking up a notch where it's just like this is like so much and i really just kind of kind of want you all to like back off because i can't deal with my feelings um so i think that's probably at least partially why the scooby seems so annoying i think the rest is they want to justify what they did and they didn't get immediate justification like you hear that from willow i wanted her to say thank you i wanted her to be overjoyed like literally jump out of her grave Mm. screaming thank you Willow, you're amazing you've saved my eternal soul and she didn't do that (laughs) so i think they're scrambling to be like is what we did okay? Is she messed up? Is she a demon? Like, Buffy, give us a confirmation that you are Buffy. Why is she acting weird? You know, Willow says, like, I th- everything's fine. Like, she used to go to bed all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. I think it's the so. outsiders that kind of have a better perspective. Like, that's why I think Spike and Dawn are, like, mm-hmm. so against what the rest of the Scoobies are doing. Because it's, like, I mean, as you talked about at the beginning of this episode about her finally thanking them, like, Clearly, either she heard something or she knew that this was a way to sort of, like, get the load off her back. Like, she knew she needed to do it, even though Mm -hmm. she obviously doesn't feel it. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. So do you think, speaking about that, do you think that Buffy actually overheard Willow and Tara talking about, you know, Willow confessing, basically, I wish, you know, she would say thank you, or, or Tara at least putting those words in Willow's mouth to which she agrees. Do you think Buffy overheard that, or she's just, like, gleaning from their behavior that they need me to say these things? 
I don't think she heard him. I mean, unless we believe she was like awake, but you know, they went out there and she was asleep. So you got to believe she didn't, she didn't hear it. I think that she would just know because I think that as an audience too, you would trust that Buffy is Buffy and she's not possessed by a demon. She's not somebody that we don't know. Like this is Buffy. And I think her reading her friends is a sign that that's Buffy. So that helps us believe that it's her. Also, I think they don't leave any space for her to have been anywhere but hell. They tell her repeatedly, you were in hell, you were in hell. And, you know, it's kind of this, like, once you be, like, you were in hell, we're so glad you're back. You were in hell, we're so glad we brought you back. And that feels like you should be thanking them because clearly they did a good thing. And with that narrative, right, because Buffy's like, I can't tell them I wasn't in hell. What do you do? Well, if you were in hell, that's one of the things that you would do. You'd be like, thank you so much for saving me. Right. Yeah. So I think it makes sense that she would do that. And, you know, you get that moment with um, Dawn at the end, which I thought was really sweet. Like, you see that, like, little glimmer of Buffy humor where she's like, you know what they say when you fail history. Yep. Those who fail history are doomed to repeat it in summer school. And it's, like, such a bad joke. But it's, like, you can tell Buffy's, like, trying to be like, this is normal. I made you lunch and you're going back to school and like i'm okay i can make jokes and you know don does the like you know everyone's really glad you're back like everyone really cares about you thing and i think she's kind of like shit i gotta deal with this i know and we'll <laughs> deal with it for a long time yeah <laughs> i mean i think she definitely could have picked up on that because buffy you know is still herself and she has social awareness that our friends are lacking a little bit in this episode and she has like empathy and she does want to protect people i just thought it was kind of pointed because she was awake when they were having that conversation and we've had throwaway lines in the past about um her having like slayer hearing and stuff Mm. like that so i was just curious if maybe that did trigger it uh but but i think that she could have just just said that because she knows it's what they needed to hear and clearly she's cognizant of the fact that she needs to protect them because she tells spike you know Mm -hmm. don't ever let them know Mm -hmm. uh which brings me to my next question should she just tell her friends? Now, the mm. easy answer is absolutely yes, because we've had nothing but problems when our friends keep stuff from each other. However, this is kind of a league of its own because we have not dealt with this specific situation before. So, Stacia, should she just come clean and pull the fucking bandaid off and let her friends know, hey, I actually wasn't in hell? Or should she just protect them? It's in perpetuity. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a hard question. I feel like she shouldn't tell them. Yeah. It's nothing they can fix, and it's going to make them feel shitty, and she's going to feel shitty regardless, so why would you put that on them, I guess? That's a good point. Uh, This is a terrible analogy, but, like, if you are in a relationship and you break up and you tell the person, like, you're already broken up, you've been broken up, and you tell the person after the fact, oh, yeah, by the way, I cheated on you, it's like, that's not helping anything. You guys have already broken up. You're just hurting that person for no reason. Like, that's not going to do that. So, like... Terrible analogy again. Doesn't make any sense. But that just made me think of that. That it's like that is just a shitty thing to do because they can't fix it. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah. you can't go it's back. It's happen. You're yeah. not changing the circumstance. You're just making me feel bad. So you're just giving them extra information that's going to make them. Feel well, it's like shitty. wild assumptions too. Because like I mean, I just think about Spike seeing her her hands and like knowing what she went through, and it's like that one to one connection is like literal i mean taking what you will you already brought up the lore about spike and if it's if it happened or not or whatever but like the two of them have that connection and that was pretty powerful where willow is off in this other world where she needs it to be hell it's really important that it's hell Mm -hmm. and i think buffy understands that like i can't actually tell them the truth because that'll break her little heart 
And, you know, again, it's like, I do, do, I'm sure Buffy doesn't think of her as any, it could be evil in any way, but I mean, she is a powerful person and you don't want to, um, not be on the wrong side of her, but just like, you know, kill her confidence. She's definitely somebody that thrives on, you know, doing a good thing and being, you know, thanked for it. And I think Buffy knows that. So Willow's her best friend. She doesn't want to hurt Willow's feelings. And I think one of the reasons why I like this season so much is I just I really like the dynamic that Spike and Buffy have. Like I just I love that it's like <laughs> Spike's like, give me your trauma and I'll carry it for you. It you know, because like Buffy doesn't need to think about Spike's feelings. She can just unload on him and he can handle it and he will take it. Like unlike her friends that she has to protect and she has to worry about if I tell them, is this going to hurt them? You know, how should I handle this? Like, she has to be the slayer for them. But for Spike, it's like she can have this vulnerable place where she knows that it's okay for her to be vulnerable because he can handle it. He can be the strong one in the relationship. And so that's really nice. And I really enjoy that. Um, And I just, I think about the speech that she gives at the end where she's like, I'm unloading all of this on you. Never tell them. Like, I'm not even going to wait to hear your reaction. Doesn't even matter how you feel about it because that's irrelevant. Like, I really just need like this, like therapist to like give my crap to and just like walk away from it kind of and one of the things she says I wrote down um in her speech where she's talking about like I think I was in heaven she said and I was finished complete like she's talking about all of my loved ones are safe and happy like I know they're being taken care of and it's like she's and I think part of the reason why that would be so peaceful for Buffy is like it's always been her job to take care of them. It's always been her job to make sure that they are safe and taken care of. Like she is the thing that does that. And she's back now and she has to do it again. And it was like so nice for her to just be done, like to have finished her job and know she'd done a good job and it was out of her hands. And like now it's back. And so she she has to worry about Willow's feelings and she has to take care of Dawn and like all of these responsibilities that she had felt like, you know, like life can move on without me are all back and they're all back on her shoulders. <laughs> so yeah, that's, a, that's a great point. <laughs> it also puts so much trust in Spike. The fact that she said that mm-hmm. and just knew he he wouldn't say anything. Mm-hmm. I'll never say anything. Right? Like yeah. that's, you know, thinking of, of even beginning of the last season of, of her putting that kind of level of trust in Spike, but it's like clearly through his actions in the last season of taking care of Don, almost dying, mm-hmm. you know, just to not give Don up as the key. It's like mm-hmm. he's proven himself. And like, that's such a small moment, but really big. Like, oh, yeah, I, I trust you. This blank yeah. void. I'm unloading all my shit. Into yeah. You. Bye. <laughs> yeah. And like. It totally sets the tone for the season. But uh, no, but in the monologue, too, when when she said, you know, I was torn out of there being possibly heaven, uh, pulled out by my friends. And it's like and you're and obviously you're not. And I think you're not putting Spike and you're not putting Dawn into that category. And I think that's interesting. So like your friends are the ones that fucking betrayed you. And it's the people that Mm -hmm. aren't your friends are the ones that you can really trust in, in this season, especially. How long was I gone? 47 days yesterday. Wow. I'm 48 today. Except today doesn't count, does it? You know, Spike said, like, the reason why I wasn't told is because I would have stopped you. I would not have let you do this and possibly mess it up. And I think, you know, it's almost like Buffy, I mean, she doesn't verbalize this, but she, like, recognizes, like, Spike and Dawn and, you know, maybe Giles 
they loved me and they missed me, but they let me go. And, like, that's what I needed. Like, Willow and Xander, they couldn't do that. And, you know, they they ruined it. Well, even I miss Giles. Uh, but, like, I miss Giles. Yeah. I yeah. mean, she said that. She yeah. never said, I'm happy to see you, Xander. I'm happy to see you, Willow. Right. Never came up. But, yeah, I miss Giles. Right. Yeah, I miss the people that let me go because I let them go and I was happy. So much more pure for Spike and for Dawn to be like, oh, my God, it's you. Like, I didn't. How did this happen? Like, this is a miracle, you know, because you can, like, Buffy doesn't yeah. have the resentment of, like, you did this to me. Like, you can just kind of, like, enjoy the fact that they're happy to see you and, like, that this is, like, a bond where, like, you know that they care for you um, without that sort of thing tainting it. Selfish. Yeah. They were being selfish. Yeah. It's I mean, like, yeah, it was, was like a selfless love to let Buffy go and be at peace and to like, even though it hurts to move on and to figure your life out on your happen. own without her doing it for you, without yeah. her helping you along the way. Yeah. Exactly. But our friends just couldn't let that go. <laughs> just sure couldn't do it. Couldn't. I think we screwed it up. She's broken. No, she's not broken. She's just disoriented from being tormented in some hell dimension. <laughs> Probably tortured, and it's like we don't even know how much time has passed there for her. Uh, possibly years. It's not something you just get over. Oh my God, what if she never gets over it? Speaking of Giles, people who aren't selfish jerks, who would mm-hmm. you know understand their role in the world is to have their slayer die, and that's just kind of the way things happen. Yeah. Uh, if it was Giles at the foot of those stairs or even, you know, in another scene, not saying that I would never want Spike to not have that moment because that was fucking brilliant. Like That was the mm-hmm. whole episode. But like, how does Giles react to this? I mean, I think he just wouldn't believe it. I mean, the the problem is that if he was there, obviously they were keeping it from him. But like there's another world where you could see him. I, don't, I guess he wouldn't be part of it because he would think that it's unholy. I guess he wouldn't want to do it. But. I don't know. That's a that's a good question. I mean, I could see him down at the yeah, stairs, though. I could see him doing everything Spike's doing, minus minus the other motive. Slower, but just like, more yeah, intimate. Like, this is oh my god, I can't believe this is real. But he's conflicted like all the rest of them. Like, he definitely wants her back. But I mean, he is like the rest of them. He, can, I think, he more than Willow and Xander and everybody going along with Willow. He would definitely have a different perspective, which is like, you know, this isn't as easy as someone like Willow is going to paint it out to be. And Willow's strong enough to do it, but is not strong enough to think about the consequences. And she's not. I mean, Xander brings it up with Tara later on. Did you know that this might happen? No. Do you think, could someone have known? Willow is a talented witch, and she would never do anything to hurt anyone. I know, I know, huh? Backing up quickly, hands in the air. Spike brings it up with Xander. I figured it out. Maybe you haven't, but I have. Willow knew there was a chance that she'd come back wrong. So wrong that you'd have... That she would have to get rid of what came back, and I wouldn't let her. Any part of that was Buffy. I wouldn't let her. That's why she shut me out. What are you talking about? Willow wouldn't do that. Oh, is that right? Um, the, you know, you need to you need to open your eyes to Willow. This is the thing that needs to happen this year, and I'm I'm shocked that it's already happening. And and honestly, see episode one. I mean, we're already getting like huge red flags on Willow. It is really good because they definitely are drawing a lot of red flags and questioning her motives and why she's making the choices she's making. Um, and you're doing it in a way where you're like, 
this seems messed up, but you're not immediately like, oh, she's the villain. <laughs> but it, yeah, it, totally. they're also doing a good job of being like, Willow has a bigger picture than anyone else does when it comes to the spell. Like, she knows what she's doing, and she's making choices without letting other people in on the decisions. And one of the moments that I thought was really chilling is when um, Buffy, demon Buffy, is standing and she says, like, you slit its throat, you let its blood dry on your fingers. And it was like, Willow knows exactly what the demon's talking about, talking about killing the deer. And yet what does she say to Tara? And Tara doesn't know. Like they They're both, like, living these, like, two different realities almost that, like, Willow's created for them. And, you know, that's a, a theme in their relationship moving forward, which is, like, Tara's not allowed to live in, like, actual reality. Like, she's living in a world that Willow creates for her. And, like, that's messed up. And then, you know, Xander, like, I just, you know, Xander and Spike, not pals or never pals, but I love that. What Spike said, like, rung so true to Xander that he was like, what the fuck is my friend doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, she knew. Like, he just, like, felt it in his gut that he was like, Spike is right, and this was fucked up. Like, that's so good. <laughs> well, and I think him also getting, honestly, that Tara scene when he was talking with Tara, and he's just like, no one, no one thought about this? And fucking first reaction from Gaslit Tara yeah. is just like... Willow fucking would never do Willow wrong. is a yeah. great Willow's a great witch and she does so much for this community. How dare you? No, she is so good. She is moderated we love her. this. We stand her. Not a paycheck. Naria one. <laughs> we we love yes. her. I mean, it's just like there was really yes. that was chilling for me. And Willow just like weirdly skates through yeah. in these last couple episodes. It's just these moments where she just you think something's gonna happen and it all makes sense after the fact, but man, she is just like it almost seems like she's oblivious to it all. And maybe in a way she is, and that's what makes her so scary. It's like she doesn't really know why she's doing all the stuff she is. They do a really great job of setting her up to be like, why is everyone questioning me? I'm such a victim. Yeah. Like, yeah. Buffy didn't thank yeah. me. I'm a victim. Look at everything I sacrificed right. for her. Why isn't she more grateful? You know? And you've got Tara sitting there saying, she will be, she will be. Like, you know, sort of like bolstering Willow back up. But you're not the victim, Willow. <laughs> No, you know, not but at in all. her well, mind, gonna, she is. Gaslighter. Yeah, I was gonna say the spike catch. The, you know, basically the tagline for season six when he walks away after that interaction with Xander, and he says, "That's the thing about magic. There's always consequences, mm-hmm. always." And it's like, all right, thanks, buddy. That's yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So to put a finer point on it, the the idea of Willow turning heel, you know, it's uh, Spike's point is. She knew that there was a chance it would be messed up and you would have to get rid of whatever came back and I wouldn't let you. He's, he's, le- he's less angry that, like, you did it in the first place. Like, clearly, he sh- I should have been, I should have known about this. You should have told me, one. But two, she fucking knew that if she came back zombie Joyce and you guys had to kill her, I would not let you kill her. Do you think Willow knew that that was a possibility? Like, consciously made the choice to do it anyway? Now, we kind of get an insight into that when Anya says, you're just now thinking about that. We're supposed to believe, you know, because they have that conversation when they're walking away where they're like, uh, Willow says, she's not wrong. Oh, my God, what if she came back wrong? Mm -hmm. And Anya's like, you're just now, speaking for the audience, Mm -hmm. you're just now thinking about that? Mm -hmm. So is it master manipulator Willow who knew all of the stakes and did it anyway or truly is a naive victim. I mean, you're saying Willow's not the victim, but what do you think? Yes or no? She knew. I don't know if I believe that. I mean, I think I just kind of said that I think that she's naively walking through the world. So I don't think that she 
I mean, I want to believe that she would know because I think she's smart, but I don't think she ever once thought about it. But I think Spike's not wrong with what he's saying because he would have absolutely fought for Buffy in whatever guise that she was in, which is his point. Would Willow have accepted her as a zombie or as whatever? I don't know. Spike, I think, would never let anything happen to her. And that would become a a point of contention if Willow thought she needed to go, which we did deal with a little bit, right? Because Dawn was like, how dare you? You're just going to reverse the spell. If you think you can give her back to me and then take her away again? No. That's worse than if you never brought her back. You can't mess with people's lives this way. Dawn, we're not going to do it that way. How can you let her do this? How can you even talk about letting her go? To add this extra layer of, of truly like villainy of, of like the beginning stages of, of what Willow, bad guy Willow is going to be. And it's just interesting because I've never watched the show, even like the multiple rewatchings, looking for these little like bits of like, oh, wow. Yeah, Willow is fucked up. And I mean, we've spent, you know, five years with Willow being a good person, trying to be helpful and, and not having any of these like dark manipulative undertones. So, yeah, I think this is kind of a stroke of genius for this season to really be like, if you get to the end, right, you're you're at two to go in grave at the end. And you're like, how the fuck would Willow have gotten here other than like Tara di- dying? Right. But it's like, how could she possibly have turned? I guess it'd be more like wrecked and smash when she's like, you know, all junkified. How did how did she get there? Right. And then you go back and you're like, oh, wait a second, you know. She did this. She did this. She was, you know, she was lying here. She was fucking literally brainwashing Tara here. You know, those things are kind of obvious, but these little subtle things are really interesting. And it's like really fun to watch it and just like you feel so bad. Like you just I don't know. I see seeing it coming in a way I never have before, even though I've seen it multiple times. It's very interesting. So, again, I have to say, uh oh, what if season six is really good? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I would just like to say, for the record, I think Willow did know that there's a possibility the spell would be messed up, and she was lying to everyone else about it. Do you think she? So, but do you think she was lying to herself too? Like she was just keeping. No, I think she knew intentionally. She I was think like, she knew. Yeah, she had to, right? You read the spell, you have to I, know. And, I, and on top of that, I think Tara knew, <laughs> because I, I keep, I keep going back to the episode with Dawn when she tries to bring back Joyce, and Tara was like, "You cannot." do this this is not something we do and there are reasons for that and to go from that being we're not bringing Joyce back we're not even going to talk about this I'm not even going to let you bring up this subject to we're going to bring Buffy back like that's such a huge leap and I think for Willow you know she's always been kind of like intellectually curious well I just wanted to answer her questions but like even at that point you're gaslighting Tara you know that's not actually what you're doing because if you thought that was truly an innocent thing you were doing you would have just done it in front of her but you didn't you did it secretly and I think that a lot of this is you know Tara would have been like well this we can't bring Buffy back like we can't do this and Willow is the one pushing her and Tara is kind of like backing her up you know and part of it is like i don't want to know what we're doing like that's Mm. why i don't know what the blood of the mother is or whatever it's called right like i'm i'm i don't want to go that far you are dealing with it and i will back you up and i think that's why she was so immediately defensive when xander brought it up because if it was something you hadn't even considered you'd be like holy fuck Mm -hmm. but instead she was like 
Willow would not have done Well, that this contextualizes if it was an issue. what happened <laughs> last week, which, you know, she, well, she said, or it might have been the first episode where she's like, this is an abomination to God, but we said we we're going to do it, you know? And like, that's the thing. Yeah. You can almost imagine them having this conversation where she's like, that's an abomination to God. And Willow's like, no. Well, yeah. so if you take it even darker, one, maybe Tara came back wrong herself when her brain got put back in her. Mm. And two, how long has Willow been actively messing with her, her, her memories? Like, yeah. either through spell or just through manipulation, you know? It's like... Yeah. I mean, up. we've been talking about this <laughs> since the short season five. So, I mean, we're probably just seeing yeah. stuff that probably wasn't there then. But, like, yeah, I mean, I, I think you can make the case that she's kind of been doing this for a long time. Yeah, I yeah. think you're right to bring up the body that, that you know, the scene of, of her... Or not the body, sorry, uh, forever. You know, mm-hmm. uh, of her lying about the book mm-hmm. because we talked about that at length in the, in the at the moment because it's just like her backpedaling and her bullface fucking lying and to the point where Tara's like, oh wait, maybe Willow is right. I guess maybe I guess she was right. God, that's so fucked up. That's so fucked up. Well, I mean, and it's just it's such a direct comparison, right? Because they're like, I need to bring back. Or Dawn's like, I need to bring back mom. I need to bring back mom. And it's like, this is the same thing. And, like, part of me wonders, like, why isn't Dawn in on this? And it's like, well, because she's a child. We have to shield her from it. But, like, is also part of it that how do you explain this to her when you told her we can't do this with your mom? Yeah. Like, that's a difficult conversation to have. And I think, really, it, I mean, it. it's, it's frustrating because I love Willow and I love Tara. But it really feels kind of like Tara you know, if not consciously, has this sort of deal in her head that's like, I love Willow, so I'm going to choose to not know about these things, right? Like, that's why I don't know that you have to go kill a deer. I don't know about the details. Like, and that's kind of like the unspoken agreement is like, we'll do this, but don't talk to me about it. Like, don't tell me what this means. I don't want to think about it. Like, I need to support you, but I'm just going to kind of like white noise sure. my way through, you know. Just blaze another and, and so to have, and like to create this conception of Willow as being like a good person, she's saving her best friend, it's necessary. So to have Xander come and be like, remember this is actually like really fucked up is like, you know, kind of like shatters her perception yeah. of Willow. And is, that's why she's immediately like, no. <laughs> Well, I think that like you also have to to be fair to the the characters that they have said that this was different, right? Because this was a mystical death. Sure. Yeah. So I think that that I'm sure that's easy, nice fodder for for Willow's argument. Like, oh no, this is different. This is totally different. Yeah. Willow, but Buffy wasn't supposed to die. This was yeah. yeah. Like this is a totally different thing, man. Yeah. So I think that I wonder how much stock they all put into that. Like had to to believe that of like okay, this this is different. This is not just bringing somebody back. She's the fucking slayer. And even though every slayer before her has died and it's been totally fine, she's not supposed to die. Yeah, because I say. You brought me back. I was in a... I was in hell. I, um... I can't think too much about what it was like. But it, it felt like the world abandoned me there. And then suddenly, you guys did what you did. It was Willow. She knew what to do. Okay, uh, I think it's time to um, let everybody know that you can find us on the internet everywhere at BeatMePod. That's Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram. We also have a website, BeatMePod.wordpress.com, where you can find notes about the show that we do here. It has uh, things like, you know, uh, references that we make or, you know, music that we play during the show. And, oh, wouldn't it be nice if someone made a playlist that has all the music that we play on the show, as well as any music that's available on Spotify that's played inside of these episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Well, hey, I made one. It's called Beat Me Hyphen Fun Time Playlist. 
for podcast fans. Season six. And that is available on Spotify if you like that kind of thing. So, was well, it time to yell about some stuff? Sure is. Stacia, do you want to yell about some stuff? Yes, I would love to. Excellent. Do it. So, while the face cutting scene is possibly the scariest moment in Buffy, uh, the fire breathing scene was hokey as fuck. <laughs> um, hot chocolate for Dawn. You're too young for coffee. Idiot. Can have my coffee. All of you did it, you stupid children. Did you think the blood wouldn't reach you? I smelled the death on you. Look at what you've done. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and then you have the Buffy show. That's what it's called. Right? That was hard to watch. I agree, and it's bad, but uh, so also I love it. Also, I'm totally fine with it. I hate it. <laughs> oh, I think the one thing I definitely have to just point out, number one, is the worst one of the worst parts about this episode, uh, beyond the bad, you know, not the bikers. The bikers were the worst. This demon was not very great. Um, but the worst thing about this was we haven't had a lot of weird uh, lore problems, but the biggest problem is fucking spike out in the sunset or in the sun and just saying, no, I could be out here. It's fine. The sun is low enough. It's shady enough out here. And it's just like, oh, God, we just... We had to do it, didn't we? I can smell the sunrise long before it comes. I mean, we already had her in his crypt earlier in the episode. We could have done it there. Like, come on, guys. But we did. We needed we needed that cute little moment between them. No, I needed the moment to happen, but we didn't yeah, we didn't need to punch a hole through all vampires. <laughs> I know, just, just whatever. To have it in the alleyway. They're constantly I know. I just by hate it. I just hate it. I just thought of like amends and stuff. Just like I could taste the sunset. It's like it's Let bad. It go. Oh god, no, not amends. How dare you invoke Let amends? It go. <laughs> we have to. We have to. Uh, I just want to give a quick shout out to Joyce from the grave saying one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life and I'll never know the meaning of. You know what mom always said? <laughs> Wash that neck or wet potatoes. Plant. Or plant potatoes. Either wash that neck or plant potatoes. Oh, it's plant it's potatoes. potatoes. Cuz your neck's so dirty, you could plant potatoes. Oh! I still hate it. It's but... not a saying. I looked it up. It's like not a thing. Okay, well, so for I don't know, one so this is 2001, 20 years. Oh yeah, that's the gimmick of the show. So for 20 years I thought she said wet potatoes. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense anyway. Yes it does. Cuz dirty neck you got a potato neck, girl. Okay, it's your turn. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Evil things have plans. They have things to do. Oh, Anya. Oh, Anya. Every... She had a busy schedule as a demon, I'm sure. I mean, I gotta say, you know, maybe inappropriate and crass to us non-thousand-year-old demons, but everything she said was was right in this episode. Yep. Every single thing. Yeah. yeah Her, like, nonchalant, on. I knew this was gonna blow up. I should have said something. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for being incredibly unhelpful, Anya. Yeah. You're just talking about that now? Buffy, you know, like, I can't. Yeah, every single thing she said was right. Oh, well, I was just to pile on top of that. Anya had all the jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, look, fire. Fire is ra- uh, rarely the sign of imminent safety. Buffy likes pizza. Jet lag from hell. Uh, you know, it's the jet lag from hell. Uh, I think we should, yeah, should have brought Buffy back. I knew this was going to end badly. I should have said something. <laughs> Dry mouth, because the fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, when Willow announces the Tomogenesis or whatever, and fucking the first reaction of Anya is she's possessed. Yes, like, yes. Great. Uh, then technically not a price. That's a gift with purchase, as you already mm-hmm. said. Um, uh, why are you smiling? That's inappropriate. Amazing. <laughs> You're like a snail, a snail who's driving the car really slowly. I mean, come on. All the gr- all the best lines. The only one joking in this fucking episode. Mm-hmm. Love it. it thank you, been, Anya. Like, Anya must have been such a relief for Jane to be like, thank you. Oh, God. God thank God. <laughs> Found one of those 24-hour places for coffee. Remember that bookstore? Well, they became one of those books and coffee places, and now they're just coffee. It's like evolution, only without the getting better part. So, yeah, I mean, we kind of already talked about it, but I wanted to just uh, hammer home how unobservant I am and why watching the show over and over again just is a new delight every time but yeah the fucking deer thing i never ever caught that the buffy you know ghost apparition whatever was talking explicitly about willow fucking slaughtering an innocent deer to do the spell and then willow lying about it like intentionally lying about i don't know what she could be talking about because the way she says it is so sincere like she just I, I know like, the words, but I don't know what they yeah. mean. Yeah. Was yeah. she? Did she really not remember or think that that's what the ghost was talking about, or did she intentionally lie about it? I don't know. What do you think? I think she intentionally lied. But it, it came so naturally and easy to her. It's so scary. It's she's, she's a manipulative, evil bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> Cue gaslighter right there. Gaslighter. Just another example. She's been lying to Tara so long it comes naturally. That's so fucked up. Poor Tara. I know. God. Never got a chance. Hopefully she doesn't die tragically for no reason, Stacia. Uh, I don't have anything else. We already talked about all my stuff. It was a really good episode. Nice. End of rant. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> uh, Anya grabs the coffee and then like describes the plot of You've Got Mail uh, and like <laughs> our entire 2000s obsession with like the growth of Starbucks. Very encapsulated in this little moment right here. It's oh. just like, okay. Thanks. Wanted, Thanks, Joss Whedon. I wanted someone to pop into frame and be like, hey, you guys remember Borders? I remember Borders. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, Borders thriving at this point, so it's all good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Spike apparently interior decorated his pain away while Buffy was dead because a beautiful basement crypt situation. He's got like a weirdo. Oh, you're chair. telling me. He yeah. Even, you know, even commented about himself. The dude's got pride. I did my best. He's pretty, pretty posh. Pretty posh down there. Oh, I absolutely love it. Um, yeah. Last one I got is, uh, shit. I almost clicked off of this conversation. Uh, is this uh painting? I'm showing you guys the photo here. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, this piece of artwork. Um, so yeah, it's like a monk, monk shot. Right? Amongst all the stuff it says, you know, number zero, five, five, three, seven, vagrant, 22, five and a half, and uh, five, five feet, eight inches, eight and a half inches, 132 pounds, I think, blue, blonde, probably the eyes and the hair. Uh, February 14th, 1946. Mm-hmm. Um, I went online. I thought you maybe would have said something about this. Um, if you had found something, but I went online and like, there's only a couple of forum posts where people talk about this, this painting where, where the glass gets thrown at, uh, appeared in Tara's dorm room, apparently last season, um, just a part of the wall and now it's here, but it doesn't represent anybody. Uh, I typed in 1946, I typed in criminals, 1940s. I went through a ton of mug shots from the early 20th century just to see if there was anybody (laughs) and I couldn't match anything. So I don't know. This is probably a totally original work. It's just not like Buffy to do something like that. So I find that pretty weird where 
I just thought it would be like a oh that's Marilyn Monroe or somebody like oh cool and like sure, yeah. I have no fucking clue. You have no appreciation of primitive art. I think the simplest explanation is that it's probably a local California artist. I mean, Joss himself found like um the what's the name of that Sprung Monkey. Uh, you know the local bands for a couple episodes of Angel and Buffy. Uh, and I I wish I could remember the set designer's name, but I'm sure he just was somewhere. And was like, oh, that's a cool painting. I'll, I'll just throw that something Terry would have. I'll throw that up in her yeah. in her room. Um, but it, it is interesting that there's no no information at all, because it is you know it's very featured in that shot. Like clearly mm-hmm. the glass gets thrown at it. You you pause on it for a, a, quite a bit. Um, I was, I, yeah, interesting. Nope, I got nothing. I don't know anything about that. So, cool picture. <laughs> uh, is this the only first or is this the first slash only conversation that Tara and Xander have? Oh, because I think the answer is yes. I don't know that they've ever only to, talked to, to each, each of them other alone. Before. I don't. I can't recall. Yeah. And I can't think of any. And if they did, it would have been very short. Like... You know, like they just happened to be in the same room, but never, never. I don't think definitely nothing that like intense and specific about there, especially about Willow, like about the relationship or something. Yeah, definitely right. nothing like that. But. Because Xander would have always gone to Willow's side, right? Like he'd be getting Willow's side of the conversation because that's his friend is is Willow, not Tara. So I just it's really weird. Other than random asides, when, when like you said, when they're all in a group and he's just like, right, Tara? Mm-hmm. If that even happens. Well, Tara's like a relatively new character too. Absolutely, so we, right? You know, it changes every week to week. So it's hard to keep track. Oh, did you guys notice the the music cues? So Thomas Winker's been doing the music since the beginning of season five. Um, we did a little bit of Restless. We did a little bit of Intervention and a little bit of Real Me at the at the end when Buffy does her joke about um, history class. That like little light piano thing was definitely uh, playing behind Dawn when she's doing her journal and stuff in Real Me. I was just like, ah, look at you. Music continuity. I love that you know all the motifs. I didn't pick up on any of that, but I did recognize the music during the monologue. When it got dark on the monologue, the music started getting way eerier and creepier. Mm-hmm. The music was excellent. Yeah. I don't understand theology or dimensions, any of it really. But I think I was in heaven. And now I'm not. I was torn out of there, pulled out by my friends. Spike calls Buffy Buff, which I don't mm. think he's ever said that before either. Yeah. You demand Buff. Go Buff. It felt really unnatural when he said it. Yeah. Uh, I just thought that was like pointed, and I hope he never does it again. Because <laughs> um, I did not enjoy that. Uh, yeah, I guess that's probably it. Nothing else really matters, other than they were like, oh, the sun's about to come up, and then the sun never came up, so that was weird. And yeah, okay. <laughs> you don't have the strength to kill yourself. I don't need strength. I just need the sun to rise. Tell me about the watches, especially the new ones. Yes, we have two new ones. Xander Construction Outfit Watch, no. Maroon Jacket Watch slash Anya's Belt Alert. Yes, Anya has that huge-ass belt. And I do have a photo of it, just so we can all see it. Oh, don't you worry. I made us exit by accident the episode and then have to painstakingly fast forward because I tried to tell Stacia, did you see it? And she said no, and then it was a whole thing. Is this Mm -hmm. the belt? Oh, yeah. 
I mean, okay. it, of course that's it's the belt. Enormous. Do you see that thing? What's even more egregious is the belt loops. Well, yeah, <laughs> because they're a good two inches bigger than the belt. The belt <laughs> they, which is they, leave, they leave so much room for the like another two prongs. I mean, it's a perfect stuff. shot because you see Tara's belt directly next to it, which is a normal is fucking belt. Normal <laughs> and then you see hers, belt. which is three to four times larger. And it's just and he, <sighs> yeah. amazing. Tough, tough stuff. Uh, Dawn's piercing screams... No, right? She didn't scream in this one. No, or but did she, she did shoot fire. Yeah, it's fine. That's that's <laughs> no not. She could go Rah! and shoot fire. <laughs> roar! She roar like literally yeah, roar. That was a roar. Okay. Yeah, like uh, that was Reptar. a fire roar. Yeah, uh, chips ahoy! No, I don't think we even alluded really to it. At Unless all. you count the wince, which very subtle, but actually there. Oh. Spike shoves Xander against the tree for a second. He like closes oh. his eyes and he's like ah, but he doesn't say anything because he's so upset. Then that's a yes. I mean, I didn't catch that. So that's a yes. So yes on the wince, because that's true. That would That's definitely important. Uh, uh, new category alert. Willow's becoming too powerful, eh? Um, <laughs> yes. S- well, and this is just going to be people suggesting that. Spike suggests it twice in this episode. Uh, Dawn calls out th- her is explicitly when she says, you know, all, all the rest of them, how can you let her do this? You know, yeah. to the whole crowd of people, like, that's pretty damning. Yeah. Um, so those are, you know, letting us know that Willow is uh, maybe too powerful, eh? Maybe a little, maybe too powerful, eh? Uh, <laughs> Buffy has a personality. Yes, Buffy likes pizza. Simple. <laughs> so, <laughs> to Hoffer, recent undead, <laughs> <I know>. Buffy <laughs> likes pizza. I know. Oh, dark. To Hoffer and watch. Oh, you better believe he's not in this show. <laughs> So how this has been going since season three, right? I mean, like, this, this has been for a long, season, long time at this point. So great, great. When he shows up, it, we're going to go crazy. Here. It'll be All worth right. it. Don't worry. New category alert. Buffy charging money for everyone who asks her if she's okay. <laughs> so I'm going to I'm going to make the money a one dollar value. So we're not doing nickels and shit. Like so one dollar right now. She has one dollar. She's going to get one dollar just for the fact that everybody's been asking her. So grandfathered in one dollar, um, maybe in the, some other world we can calculate the money. But it's true they're asking her a lot. Okay. So I'm gonna give her one dollar for this episode, and we'll go on from there. Okay, I was gonna say, well, it should count for two because after she says, "I'm gonna well, start we'll charging money," then. then Spike says, "Buff, are you okay?" Well, did, that did, should be the one dollar. Okay, yeah, fair enough. I right. don't know if that I was even that. after. Right? I accept. Okay, that. we'll that do the one dollar. Yeah, yeah, it was after. She says okay. that to Dawn, and then she goes and she says, "Thank you so much for saving my life." Right. Talk to Spike. Yep. Okay. Right, $1 that's true. That's true. Yeah. $1 it is, and we'll continue on from there. Buffy's invoice. <laughs> yes, to Buffy's invoice. She will be paid at the end of the season. Uh, Tara and Willow are on the pot again. You better believe it. Uh, everybody <laughs> was incredibly stoked about the potential pizza. Willow <laughs> lies uh, about uh, Willow lies about getting through to London. Another gaslight on her oh, yeah. uh, because we know that Giles and the British motherland do not have telephones. Uh, Tara goes into goes on about assumed crash crash positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, twice in this episode, tries to make it a thing. It's never going to become a thing, but she tries. Uh, Tara forgot that they were two different brains, and Willow had to remind her um, after the Buffy nightmare. Tara said, quote, I like the sunrise better when I'm getting up early than when I'm staying up late. You know, it's like I'm seeing it from the wrong side, which no shit Xander, who we love to dunk on, had no response to and immediately <laughs> changed the subject. Yeah, that's great. Listen, I think your girlfriend's fucking psycho. <laughs> it's horrible. 
And the very last one was uh, at the very end when Buffy pretends that she's in hell and goes through that whole speech. Uh, it's Tara without even thinking twice, narks out Willow as the one that brought her back solely her, which we could probably put it. You know, we talked about, you know, Willow and, and Tara knowing, well, it's almost like, Hey, we didn't have anything to do with it. It was all Willow. And Buffy's like noted. I'll remember <laughs> that there was Willow that did this to me. So Tara, I want to assume that Tara kind of forgot. Uh, where she was when she was like, oh, no, that was Willow. <laughs> oh, shit, fuck. We weren't even uh, there. Was I there? Where are we now? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we're, we're, what's going on? Uh, the Michael Wicca Amy Goth watch? No. Uh, again, this is people doing magic outside of our our, our our witches or warlocks, I guess, if that's Xander in, in last episode. Yeah, uh, I say no unless we count Giles interacting somehow with Willow uh, from London, even though they don't have telephones. So I don't know how they communicated all of that. Um Books a million, yeah, for the first time, old-fashioned research with the demons. We don't get any specific books, but we haven't seen books in a long time. Nobody does anything. Streets ahead, no, but Xander does talk about his knowledge of the mean streets before he almost gets run over by the bikers at the very beginning of the episode. And Giles' biggest KO, yeah, of course. He Buffy was resurrected without him being there, and it worked. And he, it's kind of damning. Tough stuff. It's interesting that you say the thing about uh, not being able to reach England because they don't have phones. Also, as we talked about, this is the same day slash night. He left probably the afternoon. There's no way Mm -hmm. a 10-hour flight to England, even if we're not talking about the time waiting there, the layovers, whatever. 10-hour flight from California to England. He's not there yet. He's just not there yet. So when you're like, Willow definitely didn't talk to him, I'm like, oh my God, what if she didn't talk to him? I mean, we know she did because he does show up, but... Another lie. Another lie from the gaslighter. Making shit up. Yeah, 10 hours and 20 minutes is the flight. And that's with no layovers or anything, which you almost assuredly will stop in like Well, he did have a, a, a layover in uh, L.A. Oh, well, yeah, L.A. So L.A. straight on through. Yeah. Yeah, 10 hours. Like, yeah, you're totally right. Bullshit. No There's no way. Uh, thank you for that. I enjoy our new watches. I'm excited to see what happens. Me too. I want to know how me much too. money Buffy will accrue. She's going to need uh, it too. this season. It's hard. It's hard out there. So I just, you know, figured it was me. I was going crazy. Well, maybe you are going crazy from hell. Well, I do believe it's time to rank this sucker. Uh, Willow Hacks, we talk about the net slash something wicked this way comes. Gave it a seven because we did the solid spell where we talked about a child of words a lot. And uh, Willow's got a shiny new iMac. And she leaves it at the end of the table permanently so that we can't have guests. Cool. Don says so, that uh, of all the computer stuff, uh, that it's obviously Willows. So she is obviously the computer person. Yeah. Even though, I mean, we did see her use the computer to work on Buffy Bot recently. She has been doing something. And I'm really curious if that's a fucking modem right there. I think it is because we would have been dealing with dial up for sure. Don needs an adult. I do not believe so. If anything, our adults need to listen to Dawn. I gave her a nine because she is really sad about the Buffy thing and she does have a complete and total meltdown at the idea of Buffy being dead again. But she is telling her friends, back off. I know how to take taking care of Buffy. Making sure she doesn't have wet potatoes. Sorry. Planting potatoes. <laughs> you know. Don't say wet potatoes for me again. <laughs> All that stuff. So I gave her a nine. Monster of the week. <laughs> I hate the CG ghost. I gotta say, it looks dumb 
and I don't like it. And, you know, even when it becomes, like, corporeal or whatever, it's okay. It's not great. I mean, we really only see it from behind, and it's, like, I don't know. I like that it's got uh, interesting proportions. Like, it's really tall. That's kind of Mm -hmm. fun. Um, And the concept's neat, right? Like, the taking possession. I think we would have stayed more in that lane instead of making CG ghost thing it would i mean because obviously anya cutting her face is fucking extreme yeah you know, yeah t- taking control of you know buffy being a weird ghost at the end of the bed all that was really good and you don't have that without the concept of the monster existing so i think the concept is great but the execution not so much so okay that is six the voice was bad i thought the voice acting oh, was horrible yeah. where it's just like i'm here to get you and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> Because doing it through Xander and Don and Danya and everybody, you know, using yeah, the voice cool. through. Great. We love them. They're our characters. But yeah, this fucking weird voice like, you're not supposed to be here. Like, <laughs> you're a bubble. What? You're a bubble. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna stop them. You're going to look at me and you're going to tell me that I'm wrong? Am I wrong? She wore a crown and she came down in a bubble. <laughs> I'm not fighting with you. Grow up. I'm not fighting grow. with you. Grow up. Get educated, but. Relationship good is her badness. I gave it a three because wow, mm. wow! Mm. If they could not leave Buffy alone for one goddamn second, I just really—I know I'm sorry. Hey, you're you really you hate it. You really hate it. Uh, but at least Spike is there to save the fucking day. Man, I just—you know—all last season we were like, Spike's a bad guy. This is really tough because he's doing really great things, and now I'm just like, well, this is getting harder by the second. And then later he's gonna try to rape Buffy. So it's all like, damn you, Spike, the best mm. worst character. In the show, maybe. I just like, oh, He's my God. He's a great God. character. Great character. Complex. Just the depth. Whoa. This yeah, episode is, like, without Dawn and Spike, this episode is, is not as good, for sure. Other than, like, the horror stuff, like which is pretty interesting, because we don't always do that. But anyway, fucking Spike. He is the reason there's a three. Him and Dawn. Otherwise, bad. Friends, bad. Lying to friends, bad. Even though Buffy's doing the right thing to protect them, maybe we discuss that. But whatever, bad. Speaking of bad, our new category. Life is the big bad. Remember, that's the whole theme of the season. I gave this a four because this is an inverse one, right? Because this is supposed to be the theme of the season, a high score would be, wow, life is really fucking everyone up right now. A low score is, oh, this is pretty much another day in Sunnydale. And I think this is airs more on the side of, this is pretty much another day in Sunnydale. We've got a bad guy to fight. Uh, the revelation of Buffy not actually being in hell, that's intense. That's why it gets a four and not a one. But other than that, uh, I don't know. I feel not bad because the Giles level of Giles would be very high. Because he's in London, the Dear Lords, and Willow could hear him cleaning his glasses. Special honorary oh. <laughs> category point five. Giles Lobo Giles, go. I gave him a two because I couldn't give him a ten because that's just fucking insane. But but he gets a point for cleaning his glasses and he gets a point for Dear Lord. So honorary bonus two points for Giles <laughs> coming in. Episode specific, I mean, obviously Buffy's whole monologue about, you know, being in hell, this is hell, whatever is great. But I think for me, one of the moments that I remember from season six, one of the only moments is Spike saying, every night I save you, because it's just like, that's so heartbreaking. His whole thing to her, just being like, tons of different ways. I just, every night I'm a little faster. I'm a little, it's just like, this dude is so sad. This guy. You know, and all I can think about is Stacia talking about this whole time. Like, Spike is a, 
Spike is a kind of a good boyfriend. Like, other than, the, the, you know, seeing Red notwithstanding, he, like, is supportive and he's trying to do good. And, you know, I've seen, like, other people do little memes on the internet and stuff. And it's like, this guy, what's better, to be someone who was cursed with the burden of being a good person or someone who did, who, who against the odds, who fought every instinct, who did everything that he shouldn't have done to be a good person and to be someone who could be counted on and trusted? It's like... Mm-hmm. God damn it, Spike. God <laughs> damn it, Spike. So Spike, a lot more compelling. I know. Spike Way more compelling. Yes, Spike gets a 10. Good. For saving Buffy every night in his dreams. Lovely. Uh, Lovely. 41 overall. So right in the middle between Bargaining Part 1 mm. and Bargaining Part 2, 2 of 3. So there we go. Yeah. 2 out of 3. Sasha, where did you put this episode? I put this at 14 out of 100 and... High! 3. So high! Yeah. Oh. I like this episode. Oh, that's a high. Yeah. Yeah. Watching the first time, I really, I told you, I was like, this is a good episode. And then I was like, oh, I'm so mad at all the scouts. <laughs> and it just got to me. But, okay, so we're, we're what's around 14? What's 13 and uh, 15? Uh, so it's below Hush and the Gift. And it's above Bargaining Part 1 and Angel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's good. And it, I really... It's interesting to spend three episodes. I mean, I know it's technical night too, but like three episodes in the same like night, kind of. It's really like I don't know. Yeah. But this is clearly like the heaviest dealing with. Yeah, this episode. has the emotional resonance I want. I wanted in the first two episodes, and I was like, should I put it above bargaining part one? And then I just thought about those fucking biker demons. <laughs> I know. And like, That's and I know, I know that the CG and you know the eventual solid demon at the end is like not the greatest, but. It's literally like 30 seconds of the show, whereas the biker demons take up a big chunk of the show. So much. And it has like legitimately one of the scariest scenes in Buffy. And I love it. I love when Buffy goes a little bit into horror because we don't see it that much. And when I think of the scary moments in Buffy, Anya cutting her face is one of them. Yes. So I, I really like this. I like her moments with Dawn. I like her moments with Spike. I really like... Um, that the demon isn't just like, oh, I'm haunting you and, you know, sort of implying that Buffy shouldn't be here. But I'm also like telling you things that no one else can say right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Like saying like calling Willow out. And I mean, yeah, the voice is hokey, but being like, you don't belong here, Buffy. And like sort of reconfirming the things that she already knows. Like, that's some good shit that she like struggles with the rest of the season. And I really yeah. like the way we're like setting up the dynamics and everything. So. Well, I'm yeah. a big fan of this episode. <laughs> I mean, soon Spike's going to punch Buffy and not feel pain. And it's like, uh-oh, you are wrong. <laughs> and, like, that's, you know, kind of planting that seed a little bit right there, too. So, I agree. Good ranking. Daniel? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've kind of struggled with where to put it. So, I think I'm going to move it up a little bit from what I had it at. Yeah, this episode, a continuation of great performances, as I said. Spike was the missing link, I mean, from bargaining, and, like, that paid off really well. It was very satisfying. Big Bad was really fucking stupid, but not as stupid as the fucking bikers. So, like, because uh, I'm going to put it at number 47 overall, um, which is, I guess, pretty high. Um, it's right below Triangle. The Prom is a couple mm-hmm. higher. Um, but it's above Wild at Heart, Superstar, Fear Itself. Uh, bargaining together was higher, 32, number 32 for bargaining. This is not a trash episode. It's a great episode. But, like, yeah, I mean, the freshman pangs, you know, this is like Welcome to the Hellmouth, you know, number 39 for me. So, like, the beginning of the series, like, 
is higher than this. I don't know if I to- totally agree with that, but it is what it is, I guess. So 47. That's what, what do you do. have left in the lower third spots wise? Do you have stuff like at the bottom? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got a couple at the bottom. Okay. Uh, oh yeah, I got basically number one. Oh, sorry, never mind. I don't. I have one ten open, one sixteen, one eighteen, one nineteen, twenty two, twenty six, twenty seven, thirty three, thirty four, and thirty six. We got a yeah, lot. Ba- Bad eggs is one thirty five, and uh, <laughs> killed by death is one thirty seven. The, the, the bottom, Obviously. bottom of the bottom. Some assembly required. Reptile boy. Everything from season. You guys two. are such haters. <laughs> well, I mean, I I feel bad about that one. I would definitely move that one up just for the lore of uh, beat me pod. That would be in well. The don't top worry. At this point, when we're done with season seven, we're going right back. Jesus, going right back. We got. That's not true. We have to go through all the comics. We, oh, we can't Jesus just go Christ. right back. You got to be then... back on the ten. We'll be there for the 30th anniversary, Kelly. Jesus. I'm going to be in therapy till I'm 30. Okay. Well, with that daunting thought to leave us with, unless Station, do you have anything else to say about this episode? No, I don't. Daniel, anything else to say about this episode? Well, by the time we get to the 30th, maybe it'll be the, what are they called? The Waltons? That's the people? They'll be haunting us. Oh, the, the Warrens. Warrens? The Warrens will be haunting us, yes. The Waltons. Wasn't that a show about like an idyllic little... Prairie family, or yes, something? right. The wall, they were the they were yeah. the Waltons, right? They were the From Little House on the Prairie, not Little House no. on the Prairie, isn't it? Like, good night, Joe, Jim, Bob, good night, Sally, Joe. This is definitely worth it. The Waltons, I thought you were gonna look it up. Are you yeah. looking it up? Nice. Yeah. The Waltons is definitely a show. The Waltons is the one that's like the big house. It's like, good night, Jim, Bob, good night, yeah, Sally, sure. Joe, good night yeah. from the night, you know, 1970s, but yeah, takes place in like the 20s. Nine seasons, you guys, and it takes place when. Depression era, Virginia's Blue Ridge Mountains won an Emmy for best show. For the thirtieth anniversary, Buffy will be talking about the Waltons. <laughs> we'll be doing Excellent. a podcast on the Waltons. No, uh, they don't no. let they don't let their daughters become doctors because they're women, so they should be in the kitchen. That is don't a story. Don't let line. your That's daughters a, grow up to be to be doctors. doctors. <laughs> okay. Oh my god. Oh, we have to end this episode. Okay. Uh, please join us next time for the episode flooded. We get to meet Tito, I think. Oh, more importantly, yeah. a certain British one-time librarian will be back in the flush. I'm pretty yes. sure. What if he doesn't come into the opposite after that? Who fucking knows? Until then, say goodbye. Goodbye. Daniel, say goodbye. How long has Beat Me Pod been gone? 147 days yesterday. 148 today. Except today doesn't count, does it? Ah! That's wildly inaccurate. Okay, thanks. I'll catch you next time. Bye! Your hands smell of death. Bitches! Filthy little bitches rattling the bones. Did you cut the throat? Did you pat its head? <laughs> the blood dried on your hands, didn't it? Oh my god. You were stained. You still are. I know what you did. I think we shouldn't have brought Buffy back. I knew it was gonna end badly. I should have said something.